There's a. Did you know that pinball was banned in New York City for 30 years? I did not know no. that. No. Yeah. Why? Because what happened was when pinball was first invented, the machine, the companies that were making pinball machines were slot machine companies. And the slot machine companies were ran by the mafia, right? The bad guys. <laughs> Welcome back to I'm the Villain. So today, all of us are really hyped to talk about gaming because, I mean, literally, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so this is literally the golden age. And also, <laughs> <laughs> we have a... This is the first time anyone has reached out telling us that they were a sociocultural historian before. So... <laughs> So we were like very intrigued. So today our guest is Thomas Durr, who is a sociocultural historian. And then I will let you talk about, you know, whatever, basically whatever you want our audience to know about you. And then potentially, you know, you can go into like what your thesis. So he sent us our thesis, his thesis intro. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And then you can go into that. Yeah. So, right. So sociocultural, right. We're talking about the uh, social and cultural norms and boundaries of society that we all create because you know social everything's socially constructed and culture is just kind of like a trend of what happens around us we build a culture around video games around sports around anything so what i do i apply those theories and those ideas to technology and the specific technology i chose because i'm a huge nerd was video games and i want to know <laughs> how we developed culture how we created social spaces and how they both interacted with the rise of technology, specifically gaming, and then how did our views on, you know, that shape the development of games and vice versa. So that's the very important, like, question back and forth. Which one affected which and how much? Mm, chick yeah. Chicken and, and egg situation. And you're doing, like, your master's on this right now. Yeah, right now. I have all my credits. I'm literally just writing this huge, like, hopefully – like somewhere like around 70 or 80 pages of oh my god huge theory and i'm just hoping it proves just not even popular or anything i just really want people to realize that we create so much more than we tend to think and especially like we're i guess we're all gamers and we are part of this community ourselves and it's, i think it's important to reflect on like how did like how did this get to be where it is because i know there's a lot of negatives and positives to it and i want to highlight yeah. all of it yeah um, this, this, I want to start off this conversation, um, with the phrase that's going through my head and it's from Assassin's Creed. Um, <laughs> and because I, <laughs> I, I have never heard a phrase from a game that I think is more true. And like the creed of the assassins is nothing is real and everything is permitted. And it's this idea that like, that like most things are the way they are, especially like social constructs literally because they're constructed to be that way mm -hmm. um and i think that like i think it's also just a good um a good like topical sentence for like what our pod is about you know yeah. <laughs> but everything's a social construct yeah so anyways tom why don't why don't you give like however long of a summary of what your thesis was about and we can go from there or it's going to be about or it's going yeah. to be about <laughs> it's like yeah, that's still about. the process of being created <laughs> definitely i mean i have i have like my i have my outline but pretty much my intention is to trace early origins of technology when technology rose up the first computer how did people understand who can use this the identities and 
how technology shapes our gender roles because technology was, you know, it used to be a term that it could have been like a hoe for a field, you know, or a plow that attaches to an ox to, you know, plow the field. Mm -hmm. And now technology means something completely different. It's that you always think hardware, computers, games, all these things. And my, my key point is I want to trace when that moment rose, like, wow, this is technology. How did that shape how men and women identify in that workspace? Who's coding? Who's doing the hardware development? Who's theorizing the uh, all the programming and who's doing the actual work, right? Like we we learned that coding was something that women did. And funny enough, coding's the most important thing in computing, yet it was seen as a secretarial job in the 60s for all the space um, during uh, NASA's like expeditions into space, it was all women right. doing code. And it's, that's what computers did. They were basically fancy room sized calculators and women were doing this work, but it was associated with printing paper. So they thought it was a secretarial job. Funny enough. So mm-hmm. from that point, I want like, that's where like our ideas of patriarchy kind of just influence things going forward, that and capitalism. I kind of track those two systemic issues and how they affect the development of gaming as the technology progresses to the point that we have VR, AR, you know, like motion control and just just everything, the graphics that we have, the visuals, the storytelling. And um, I think that's like the key. We're going to trace those two things over time and just see how it shapes us, how we assign roles based on what we perceive that these roles can, should be doing. So there's this common perception in gaming culture. We all know that women, aren't good they're not skillful they can't compete at a high level they if and if they do and then when they do play games they have to play support roles like healing in world of warcraft they can mm-hmm. only be healers or you know you're a mercy main or you can only play diva because she's a girl <laughs> so for league of legends you know you can only you'll be my support you know i'll carry you know have have a boy carry you as an ad carry or something like that right and that's not that's not right right like you know i like playing when i play overwatch i play mercy i play mercy reinhardt and um, I play what's his name? Uh, the, the ball, wrecking ball, wrecking you know? ball. So it's just like I want to. We want to break those like stereotypes, and we're because what we're doing is we're just placing women into this box, women and girls, into this box, and saying, "Hey, when you play video games, you have to do these things." And I was at one point when I was young and learning and participating in gaming culture, like I do now, but I was more naive and confused and didn't know. I was one of those people. I wouldn't just make girl- jokes against girls. Like, hi, you're a girl. You can't play. And then one day my friend told me, he's like, Tom, like you have to really like, like watch what you say to someone because like, you know, it's really coming across as wrong. And you sound like this. I was like, honestly, that's not my intention. I was just making a joke, but it's not a joke. Mm-hmm. This is a culturally constructed, socially constructed thing that we truly believe women can't play this. Women can't do that. And by limiting them in gaming, you're now limiting them just in any like if you can if they can't even have right it's all game. reflection of what's going on in life exactly. right it's yeah. not just a gaming problem right because exactly. i think about this all the time where it's sort of like there whenever you think of any kind of technical job in real life like audio technicians or just like producers of any kind right it's so difficult to find female technicians of anything, right? And all of the those like technical skills are so male dominated and associated with maleness. And like I had, there was this guy in college who, who like died tragically and I didn't know him, but they sent out this like obituary 
email about him and like they were just listing all of these things that he did and he was like you know really into building motorcycles and like did all of these like skills and i was really thinking about how like how like male that is in our culture of like how many like female friends do i have who like if they died you'd be like oh yeah and she could do these 10 things that she was really into right it is so I, th I think that's really a reflection of like how we think of men and women in real life it's really not just a gaming thing you know i'm on to something but it's really like it really just evolved from like me being a part of this like um just just like growing up as like a white kid like mm -hmm. you're like we know like as obviously you guys know, like I study sociocultural things. So that means I study, I study race, gender, everything. Right. So by the way, guys, like, right. Like black lives matter, trans lives matter. Like we gotta like, like this, these are things that as a, like a white cis male, like me, like you aren't, you aren't really exposed to it until like you really genuinely are and your ideas are challenged. So like I had to go through this like awkward phase of like being like, like, Oh, like gender and like race and these things. And, you know, like, you don't think about it, but it's just this societal pressure that's constantly put on you. And mm -hmm. you really need to push yourself to, you know, go out there and learn, like, what's the truth behind all this? And I had to do that. And this is the, the result of that. And that's why I wrote this thesis is I want people to realize, like, how we treat people is literally just, it's bullshit in terms of... <laughs> And gaming culture in particular is not good at it. Yeah, they're not. Yeah. Right? They're just Particularly, yeah, we are super bad at it. And I think it's because, like, this is a thing that people engage in because they, like, they want to, like, escape from the realities of society, you know? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it's so easy to kind of just gloss over and for, and not acknowledge the fact that even though you you partake in these things to escape from society they're still constructed within the society that you live in and by people that live in the same the same society that you do and the developers yeah. bring it into the games yeah yeah, especially because that that misconception of how niche gaming is i think is actually really harmful because it's really not that niche right like there's there it it there's huge, huge percentages of the population game and it's growing. And it's really funny too, because I think it's associated specifically with youth, right? And the people like, like have this misconception that like kids are gamers because that is just like something that you're like, oh, I need to occupy my kid. But like, I like the very first, like, you know, like major, like MMO that I started playing was RuneScape. And like, you know, at the time everyone was in like third grade or whatever. Yeah. And like now you go on RuneScape and you're like, oh shit, you're like 40, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that, and like the demographics of uh, who gamers are, really, really yeah. common misconception, right? I think that mm -hmm. Isabel, you and I were talking to, I think Kristen recently. Yeah. And she was like, well, like the majority of gamers are men and just like said that, right? It's like right around half or a little more than half. Last time I checked, it's yeah. anywhere between like fifty-two to fifty-eight percent are men. Uh -huh, so okay, but it's 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 pretty much like right down the middle. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so I'm excited to kind of tackle all this shit. So why don't Tom? Why don't you take us <laughs> um, to like the beginning as much as you can in terms of like you know the creation of video games and when. When and like what parts do you think were most foundational? Yeah, and when and how we yeah. started seeing kind of this, these inequities start to play out. 
Okay, so there's a really fun history that I did actually another paper on. It's like 30 pages. It was it was nuts. It shouldn't have been that long, but I fell, <laughs> I fell in love with it. But I wrote about uh, racial and social issues surrounding pinball in New York City. And um, there's a – did you know that pinball was banned in New York City for 30 years? I did not know no. that. No. Yeah. Why? Because what happened was when pinball was first invented, the machine, the companies that were making pinball machines – were slot machine companies. And the slot machine companies were ran by the mafia, right? The bad, <laughs> the bad guys. So what happened is like Mayor LaGuardia, like the guy that the airport's named after, um, he was an Italian religious dude. And he just had this overzealous idea that you're giving Italians a bad name. You know, there was, cause there was a huge, there was a huge like racial issue with Italians and Irish in New York city, you know, in the late 18, um, late 18 and early 1900s. Right. So that just evolved to there's like this ego that, you know, he basically was like, not no more giving us a bad name. We got to stop this. You guys are taking money from kids. They were like, you're taking the pennies out of like kids' pockets for lunch because kids would go play slot machines. I mean, the slot machines, um, pinball machines. Pinball machines. So what happened was Mayor LaGuardia, I think he like took, he took the, um, the police. They collected about 3,000 pinball machines and dumped them into whatever – What's like the river over there? The Hudson. the Hudson. They dumped it in. They smashed them up, dumped them in, and then donated all. And this was in the forties. They they donated all the steel for um, U.S. military production for World War II. So wow, yeah, it was like so that happened, and it was just basically banned. And this is when pinball became this underground thing where people wanted to go play. They would just go to like underground clubs and like. You know, just go play in like like the weirdest places because you had to hide them. <laughs> Otherwise, they'd... it's like you had to have like a speakeasy for a pinball machine. Yeah, it's, it's like t- gaming was like a bad thing. You know, it's it's cool to think about, but it wasn't until like the seventies when they made the um the first gaming console. They had the um the Magnavox Odyssey, and that was with like Pong and stuff. So yeah. that was sold in the home, kind of popular. And it wasn't until in New York City, 1976, uh, Roger Sharp, he basically took a pinball machine, brought it to the um, New York City like state legislature, and they had a they were going to present a case on how pinball requires skill compared to gambling machines, and it's thankful to two things: the plunger and the flippers. Right. So the plunger, we all know, like you pull it back and it shoots the ball and releases it into the game. Now, if we were if we went to Atlantic City and we wanted to gamble it up, we would have just let it hit shit and whatever is scored is scored. But the flippers required skill because he could he showed how long he can keep the ball in play and said this takes skill. Immediately they were like, "All right, you win." And pinball was unbanned from New York City. So from that point, gaming started to had to pull itself out of the the trenches of being associated with like bad and the mafia and like all this kind of stuff. And it was really the 70s that did that. And we know that the 60s and 70s were a huge time. It was the second feminist movement, um, the second wave feminism, um, civil rights. Uh, then we ended up having like um, Stonewall, so LGBTQ rights. So this was a whole era of s- just social issues that was yeah. going on. And gaming was just rising in the background while this was all happening as well. So that's why gender is such a very flexible and it can be kind of conflated during this time. And I think it's very important because we have issues of gender and women are just getting, women are just getting their rights to vote. Like, mm-hmm. like these are crazy things. And now they're heading, heading face first into the field of technology. They're the coders. They were working for NASA. They did all the hard math. 
they were the true heroes of why we ended up on in um, on the moon. Right. So that's pretty much like the early history of kind of like gaming and like what people thought about it. And it eventually just grows into just who creates a catchy game. Because you have to remember how just, you know, Pong is literally like, ding, ding, ding. That's it. Like literally two lines, a ball, and they would actually put um, filters over the screen to change the color. (laughs) That's all they could do. They couldn't, they didn't know how to program color or anything. And just from that point, it became so popular, people started just hiring engineers and just just trying shit, building shit. You have the Channel F, which was built by um, by a black man, and no one ever no one, and he's the one responsible for making cartridges. The reason we have cartridges is because of him. I I actually just started reading on it, so I don't remember his name, but the Channel F goes on to be like this console that influenced the um, the NES, Nintendo Entertainment, and then like and then like Sega, and then sixty-four, Se- Se- and then yeah, pretty much. And that's and that's like. That's the history of the hardware, at least. And I'm kind of like going to be looking at mostly the games and just the thought that went into creating these characters, right? Like, why is the first character Mr. Pac-Man, right? And then Mario is a result of directly of Donkey Kong, right? And who's he always saving, right? Peach, the princess. Again, that's just always the imagery that you're going to get. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure you guys are familiar with Metroid, right? Yeah. Are you familiar with the first game? There's an Easter egg in the game. If you beat it fast enough, do you know what happens? No, I don't know what happens. Samus takes her armor off. Oh, is that where Zero Suit Samus comes from? That's where... So, she's actually in a bikini. So, she's not even in Zero Suit. (laughs) And this is... Mind you, this is (laughs) 8-bit. This is, like, 8-bit, like... like, Yeah. like, imagery of a female character. So, one of the, like... One of the, like first big games is easter eggs was the main character who was a woman in a bikini but even funnier you know how like when we used to buy video games in person it used to come with manuals yeah in the manual for metroid her pronouns are he him his wow isn't that crazy so the <laughs> so the 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 developers want you to believe that samus is a man i guess i mean no one, I, until I mean, the until the end. end yeah i you know i know why i don't think they would have sold if it was like a, a, a female protagonist and that's and that's like that's the first thing that i when i found that out i'm like i need to write something on this like this is <laughs> like, like how the fuck does that happen <laughs> i just mm-hmm. i don't get it so like i wanted to that's where my like rabbit hole started and that's where i found just all this information with pinball and just how people viewed technology and the role of women in technology specifically and how that translates over into games, you know, um, I actually just re- so I went to in New York State in Rochester, New York. There's a museum called the Strong Museum, the Museum of Play, and they have a huge, huge, huge display of just the psychology of play, physical play, video games, arcades, everything. So I got a chance to go in their archive, and I found a bunch of companies like Her Interactive. So you guys are familiar with Nancy Drew? Yes. Yeah. So I do a case study in my thesis on their company, and their motto is, um, what, what is their motto? It's um, it's like, uh, for girls not afraid of a mouse. So they actually like started this whole initiative of games for girls, girls that games want girls, games that girls want to play, 
And I have evidence of girls writing in letters that are like, well, I really loved Nancy Drew so much and she was such a role model, but in the most recent game, she was very submissive to the male protagonist. And, and then when she went into the haunted mansion, she found a mouse and shrieked and got scared and held onto whatever his name was, Bob. And for someone with their motto being for those not afraid of a mouse, why is she afraid of a mouse? And I'm like, mm-hmm. yo, this is a 14 year old girl from like the eighties, like he's <laughs> like, just like telling it how it is. And it's just, it's just really cool when you find evidence like that because it's really like it's it's telling the story like I'm not making the story up. I'm just trying to like advocate for the voices that were overheard right. or, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. straight up ignored. Right. Yeah. So and like and it's really interesting to me like your your like your progression, right? Because I feel like now like the types of gamers like because we have such sophisticated games, we would look at pinball and like, I I feel like a lot of people would be like, oh, that's not particularly skilled. You know, it's literally just like a reflex thing as opposed to now you have people who are like, you know, really systematically trying to like, you know, figure out all the mathematical formulas behind all of the games that they're playing now. And it's like, it is, it it is the kind of thing where it, it really appeals to the type of like STEMI, you know, like, you know, all of these things that are considered very masculine. Right. Right. Yeah. And so like, and, and, and even now it feels like there's still some of that same shit going on around like, Oh, you know, like women, like there was that article recently about there was like, um, this gaming company that like, you know, upped this woman's article about like, oh, these are like the games that women play and stuff like that. And it was like Sims and like Candy Crush, right? And like right, these are just stereotypes. Right. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Like, my, my, my right. My sister plays Overwatch. Like my, my little sister Ali, she's like seven. She's like yeah. she's like fucking shit up on Minecraft and like yeah. I'm like, yo, you go. Like I you know, and I just right. her first Pokemon game. So now she's playing Pokemon. Mm-hmm. You know? Right, so, right. Yeah, so it's just really interesting to think of, like, what is considered skilled at different parts of history, right? Because, right. like, you know, playing Candy Crush is probably, like, you know, not not that different of a skill level from, like, playing Pong or whatever, right? Oh, no, definitely. And um, just really quick with the skill thing, because I'm sure you, why you brought that up, but really yeah. quick, if you, people just want to learn a little bit about this idea of, like, sk- like, how skill plays a part in gender roles like you um basically skill is something that is also socially constructed because it's defined by both gender roles male and female um at this time in this like the 70s and um and game and rosemary pringle they wrote a book called gender at work and that's mm-hmm. where they talk about capitalism and gender and skill and like how skill is so definitive based on like the male gender role so women's work is defined by what men do and do not do so right basically like in in the easiest terms like um how is it that a man can become a tailor and be paid for this profession and sought out for work meanwhile a woman is expected to know this skill and do it for her family and not profit off of it right right so that's where the idea of skill kind of starts in a capitalistic sense and it just kind of like i just found that once i read this book i was like that's so weird because it just i feel like there's this idea of skill attached to women today and yeah, that's like that's very similar. So I am I'm going into like the the funeral industry and that's very very similar in the death care industry is like there was this, you know, for literal millennia, women were always the people who would take care of like the dead body and then very recently you had this like, you know, 
vast you know sea of men who came and be like oh no 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 like you know we're gonna take over this yeah. and medicalize and it and it became this, this skilled thing yeah. exactly and then like oh and you're not qualified to do this even though literally the women have been doing it for hundreds of years yeah. right it's crazy that you say that i remember in grad school i took a, i took a class on like the history of immigration and i focused heavily on italian immigrants because that's my ancestry and i just wanted to learn more about them and it was funny that in New York, we, we know how New York City is like super heavily like racially and uh, like ethnically divided. Just yeah, yeah. History. I, it was a lot of Irish immigrants coming in and like taking those jobs, taking jobs as coroners and um and yeah. dealing with the dead, and they were removing women from the position. I was right. like, that's crazy that you bring that yeah. up. It, it, right. This is just how we see women are. Once men define something as skillful, it is mm-hmm. then now the just up to the aptitude of the man to take over and mm-hmm. fully control that position. Because if women are in that position, it's going to, de- it's going to like demasculinate men because, Oh, a woman can do my job. I lose this sense of masculinity. Now all of a sudden mm-hmm. I apparently can do the same job as a woman and she gets paid the same. And it's, there's a lot of, a lot of problems that go into defining skill. And that's what it is. Mm-hmm. This idea that men are afraid to lose this idea of masculinity and that's where we get toxic masculinity from i'm sure that as games became like <clears throat> maybe more violent and more grotesque mm-hmm. and then then more of the kind of uh societal standards for what women should and shouldn't be partaking in come into play like it's not like maybe mm-hmm. it's considered not feminine or not womanly to like you know shoot people on a, on a video game or like make someone blow up or whatever yeah, I, I definitely think that with – actually, one thing recently that maybe would kind of, like, argue against that is the role of the RPG. Mm-hmm. And what was the original RPG? I'm going to quiz you really quick. The original RPG? Yes. Oh, man. It's a, I didn't, it's a tricky question. I don't know. I, I'm afraid to guess. Yeah, I don't know. Dungeons & Dragons. Okay. It wasn't a video game, so that's why it was a trick. Yeah. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but, like it's not like only it wasn't like all sweaty dudes in a in a basement playing this like i i played D with like people that could be my mother you know like there there's a huge huge community for this game for role playing right this idea mm-hmm. that you're not playing as mario but you're playing as giselle the fucking um you know night elf like warrior and you can do whatever the fuck you want you can go fuck people up you can steal shit from people whatever you want to do right like it's you advocating for your who you are in this game. Right. And I think when the RPG saga starts to get a little bit popular um, in gaming, which, by the way, the first ever RPG, it was literally just a text adventure. Yeah, that's, and, and that's, what, I was, that's what I was thinking was that maybe it was like Zurich or something like, you know, some, some texty game. But Yeah, and um, so Sierra Online is resp- – they're actually the ones that add the first visual graphics – um to this to a game and to an rpg game and it was it's roberta and ken williams and i actually i'm actually in communication with ken right now he's actually gonna send me a a part of his his book because him and his wife are so busy they just featured on the um the docuseries on netflix high score interesting they were they were in there and i and i pulled a lot of their research two years ago when i went to the archive so i knew about them and i didn't know that they were like when i watched them on that series i was like yo they really are they were like ahead of their time and they really did make like these they just really tried bringing gaming out for what gaming was 
and where people can like just indulge in this RPG adventure and just explore a narrative and a story and create your identity and like all this stuff. And that's where. Wait, so so when you say they're ahead of their time, what about them? What about their their games was ahead of their time? Adding visuals to RPG storytelling. Mm. It so the because re- it's like I can I can see it's like reading a book basically. Like no one likes, especially nowadays, people hate reading books. But that's that's why gaming, I think, it became so popular at some point because it's basically like a narrative that you can watch but participate actually in. Because when you're reading a book, you have to do a lot yourself, right? You have to imagine. Right. Like when someone describes, you know, um, let's say you're reading The Witcher, right? Like, sure, the book will like explain like kind of like what it looks like, but it leaves a lot of room for imagination, and you can have you can just imagine any way you want them to look, kind of thing. So that's the beauty of like RPGs. But some people like it just they want to be a part of the story, play as the character physically. But then there's other people that don't. They want to create their character and they want to put themselves in those situations. And that's where your article goes, talking about like this like autonomous like idea that video games are becoming such a wide open space that it kind of like shrouds people's moral judgment and like their experimentation with morality. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you see that with early RPGs. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. like see that's something that. Oh, go ahead. Uh, you can go ahead. Yeah, that's something that I think about a lot in terms of like I I am really into futurism and thinking about I like this is something that I think I read in Andrew Yang's book, The War on Normal People, where he's talking about how a lot of like. The, the jobs that are getting displaced right now, the way that people handle that is very gendered. And when you look at, you know, if, if a woman loses her job, you know, most of the unemployed women in America right now, like they'll use that time to like volunteer and stuff. And the men will kind of use that time to play games. Mm-hmm. And so it's the kind of thing where just like what it seemingly like what you're talking about with the pinball thing in New York, right? Where they're like, Oh my God, like we're letting these people kind of like waste away. I think we still really have that mentality about gaming now when we think of like, okay, what, what if we do envision a world where suddenly like games become super, super realistic and like, you know, awesome. And then we also have an incredible, surge of people coming out of the workforce who don't have work anymore you know and like what would that reality be like and do those people who are making the games because you're in this like godlike position right when you're coding all of these little micro little like you know how do their different you know characters interact in your game like to really influence what's going on in society you know Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I think about a lot is like, you know, do we have some kind of obligation to have like moral standards when it comes to games? Yeah. Right. Because like there is a lot of like crazy shit that happens in games that, you know, we don't necessarily like, but, you know, there's some difference that we see between like, you know, having, you know, super violent, you know, crazy shit happening in movies right because mm-hmm. you are not the actor in those cases right and so once we start getting into like ar vr games is that gonna are they gonna have kind of a higher moral obligation given that it's really you in that position like you have so much agency in in those yeah. types of games like your you know your bodily movements making the things happen right? yeah like that's a totally different level right of just... it's so bad yeah. <laughs> it's your, do you guys your know sucks. VR chat do you guys know vr chat no. I've seen I've seen clips of it. 
it's just it's just a cesspool of just like sexual like oh, it's terrible it's just really bad like <laughs> like you create like you create an avatar you go into the game and people are like you know they're like and you just like, like talk oh, to people yeah you talk to them but you're like you're you visibly appear as like an avatar and you can be like whatever you want so yeah. a lot so like there's people will go in there um as like you know a kawaii like anime girl and like everyone it's just like this place it's like an online like Matt, it's like an online social hub yeah okay where you just talk to people and people are just like flirting and it's just yeah. like it's and like, there's just a lot it's of like club penguin but for yeah. but but VR. VR. Yeah. That's a good example. <laughs> Except that when I played club penguin I was like 10 years old and innocent and had no idea what the hell was going on and whatever girl bought me a hat she was my girlfriend and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. But no this is like this is it, I I'm very again. I don't like VR. I don't like where it's going right now. Like just the, But like VR, yeah, what what do you not yeah. like about it? The VR chat. I think gaming okay. culture is just going downhill i think we're just technology in general social media it's just i think it's extremely toxic to how we function as people and it's just um like there's this paper i want to write like there's this idea i have this like social media ego where i may be me in real life but like online i can be whoever i want and i hate why is that is it just because there's no actual real consequences yeah. so you're like oh my god i'm and gonna let the inner that's, that's exactly you know yeah. you control in myself right? no one yeah. knows who you yeah. are you can I, like you know on people know me as thomas there but like online i use the name like most ex wicked right like and then i could craft that into like whatever the hell i want it to be i mean i don't but like i just think it's a cool name that i use for games but you know it's i just see people online and they always online is like a space where like you can paint an image of yourself that you want other people specifically to see so it's like almost like you're role playing but you're only showing like the good things and like the pot and you're building up this ego and this character like i'm this is my this is my instagram tom account like this is what people get to see all the cool stuff i do but no one no one knows about like your like the, the mental health issues you go through no one knows about the ups and downs in your life or the bad thing that just happened and you know no one knows that stuff and I, it, there's like you can obviously weigh the good and the bad but just social media online and these like online personas with like vr chat i think it's just super super toxic and just we the technology is new like the internet is it's only been around in this capacity 20 years i remember when you know you used to log online and it was the dial-up like that's it's like this old school shit and the internet now you have it you have it on your i don't even know where my phone is but you have it on your phone, your computer, your iPad, your TV, your everything. Everything has this stuff and it doesn't escape you. And it's almost like you live two lives. Yeah. yeah. That's what but why do it. people want to opt into it when it's so toxic, right? Like given that it's so shitty, why are all these people still voluntarily going and being like, oh yeah, I'm going to participate in the super shitty culture? I think that question varies by generation. I think generationally, like the Gen Zers, like, I, I, is it ever presented as an option, right? If it's just culturally what everybody does, does it feel like you can opt in or out? But I think for us, I mean, maybe maybe it's a similar situation, but maybe or maybe it's just FOMO. Like, I mean, it's where everyone else is living their life, and it is powerful. It makes you like, although there are a lot of like negative psychological effects, I think they're a lot harder to track within yourself than the positive psychological effects, quote unquote, right? Like the, the dopamine the dopamine hit. Like, I think it's harder to, to detect within yourself, I am addicted to this whatever, than it is to detect like a feeling of happiness that comes from that extra like or that extra follow. 
It's yeah, that's the thing is they're so it's so quantifiable. Everything is verging towards like, you know, being weighted by what's quantifiable and what's not, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the the <laughs> thing is that going back to sort of the VR point is that I th- VR right now like VR chat sucks and also VR as a technology right now kind of sucks, right? Like it's like it it's clunky, it's hard to play, it's not very intuitive, whatever, and it's expensive, right? Like in whatever kind of VR forms. Mm-hmm. And consoles have been flirting with VR for a long time where as it relates to like, you know, the Kinect was a thing that Xbox did that kind of flopped. Like the iToy. The iToy was a thing. And these are all things that like aim to like extend or like further your immersion in a gaming experience by moving mm-hmm. your body or whatever. Definitely. And yeah. so right now it sucks. And but eventually it's not gonna suck. And then I do think that's when we're gonna see wide adoption of it. Um and then I think that you know I Isabel, I don't know if I have an answer to your question about what should what we should be doing in terms of like, you know, should we like place limits on what you can and can't do in VR. It's like, should you let people rape people in VR? So I, I saw that in the article and when I, right. I yeah, I saw like, uh, apparently when GTA came out in 2013, there was like someone on the forum and he literally posted, and I quote, he said, I want to have the opportunity to kidnap a woman, hostage her, put her in my basement and R word her every day, listen to her crying, watching her tears. <laughs> and <laughs> I actually was like, there's no way. Like, what? But, uh, like, the devil's advocate or, you know, the villain part of me, like, the podcast, like, I was like, you know, it's like, in in an open world, like, how can you limit what other people do? So, interestingly enough, um, a gentleman by the name of Richard Garriott, he developed a game series called Ultima. I'm not sure if you guys have ever played it. It's an RPG series. I haven't played it, but I've heard of it. Yeah, and um, he's actually in this um, docuseries on Netflix as well. And what he does is he made – he coded, like, an early game on, like, an old, like – not typewriter, but what the hell was it called? It was, like, some weird machine you just input X's and O's, and he would build maps for people to play. And it eventually got into computing, and he eventually made his first game, Ultima. And it was an RPG – and he wanted, like, people to... It was one of the first games you can create your own character. Because he was a D&D, like, player, dungeon master. Yeah, so he wanted he that immersibility. Exactly. That, yeah, immersibility. The immersiveness of making your own character. Ident- like, identifying with that character. And what he started noticing in the first few games, he noticed that people were, like, looting and killing innocent characters just to beat the bad guy. So it's like you were becoming the bad guy to beat the bad guy. And he was mm-hmm. like... He's like, but wait, like, like I don't want to tell people what to do to beat the game, but why is there no moral obligation? So what he ends up doing is um, he wanted to add an element of moral responsibility to his game. And he did this by emphasizing the term avatar. And what he meant by that term is that, like, it's supposed to be a reincarnation of a deity, a deity into a person. So what he starts to do he calls the um he calls one of the ultima like it's ultima three or four like um search for the avatar and at that point like he wants you to like just be the reincarnation of you like your character to be your and that's where the term avatar we use like for online avatar yeah. started from because what his goal was if you invest yourself into this character like this character is a reflection of me who i am you'll do less bad things because your moral compass is now following your character that you make. You get mm-hmm. me? So he yeah, like, but, did it work? But is it effective though? I 
I, yeah. I, I generally think so. Like from because I tried to think about it, it. Like I love RPGs. I literally only I play like Dark Souls, Skyrim. I've had Skyrim on every console. Like I've beat it too many times, and I love I just love RPGs and. I noticed that, like, I always play the good guy. I do always just play the good guy, like, helping people, going out of the way. And I'm just, like, sometimes I just get the urge. I'm, like, yo, I just want to kill the whole, like, you save and then you just kill the whole town just to see what would happen. And then you go back to your save file, like, nah, that was stupid. But I think, I think in a weird way, as, like, an RPG character, like, you're literally putting yourself in the shoes of this fantastic world. And, you know, when I play D&D, I want to be, like, a sorcerer, you know, and I want to help people. I never want to be, like, the... Actually, funny enough, I like things like the occult and, like, demonic-looking stuff, like the thematics and the art. Like, it's so cool, like, warlocks in World of Warcraft. Like, that shit's dope, and I love that, and I love demons. But I'm not, like, a bad – like, I would never want to – like, my moral compass doesn't align with that, like, aesthetic. You feel me? Yeah. But but, but that – it doesn't hold up for someone that's already shitty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but that it's like it's like all right. So, what do you do? You limit what people do in games because there's just some shitty people. So it's like I don't it's know. Really, it's it's a hard question to ask. Like that's what our society faces every day. Like, do we do we combat these like ideologies that people have? That I know what it's like to be trapped in that box and not really see outside of it, and it's really fucking hard to leave, especially when you're conditioned or society tells you to think a certain way. You need to just be the bigger person and find information and the truth and just explore. And people are just so unwilling to do that. And I think it's reflected a little bit in like gaming community, online online communities. You know, it's 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 a big it's a big topic to talk about. So, Tom, uh, first of all, thank you so much for sitting with us and giving us your perspective. Um, my my closing question for you has nothing to do with gaming, or it might for you. Um, what are you doing to stay sane during quarantine? What am I doing to stay sane? Um, I'm definitely playing video games. Um, I'm writing my thesis, and it's, it's just funny because kind of like when quarantine hit, I started – I just had this, like, reinvigoration of kind of, like, getting getting stuff done. I feel like I can – I don't want to say like a new normal because I didn't want to even say that with COVID. Like we're not going to go to a new normal, right? Like we just need to adjust because normal is relative, right? So I'm not going to tell myself, oh, a new normal or a new me. I'm going to go back to the old me. I want to I want to be just me and just deal with whatever issues I have and just, you know, embrace it and deal with it head on. And I think reach out to your friends if you're feeling down or whatever. You know, there's so many different outlets for people to do. You know, thankfully, my school has – um like therapists that you can talk to for free. So it's like super lit. It's in your tuition. So like if people who are in university are listening to this, like definitely reach out. There are, especially with the semester just starting, right? I think this just started this week. Yeah. Yeah. Reach, reach out. Like, look, you can always look for help. There's so many like things online that you can find out Um, people that are willing to listen to you. um, Don't feel like you're alone. And we're all in the world going through this together, whether you're a gamer or not, but you know, there's a community out there for you. There's people to listen to you and we're going to like get through this. So just keep following the, you know, the guidelines of your state, wherever you live and just try to just do the, think more holistically as opposed to like selfishly. Cause I hate seeing people go out and 
you know, they're spreading this and they're not taking it seriously. And I, I've had, I've had a friend's dads die and uh, close family members die. And it's just really sad to see, you know, so just stay strong. We're going to get through this, focus on self-growth, find some new ways, new outlets, maybe pick up a hobby. Like I picked up podcasting. So I, I started doing some podcasts um, and just find ways, exercise at home, YouTube, some meditation tutorials, like that shit helps. It's awesome. There's so many things you can do at home, guys. Um, talking or since you talked about your podcast, you want to plug them before we get out of here? Oh yeah, sure. Um, so my podcast it's called the Get Informed Podcast, and basically what I do is I talk about social issues and trying to not dumb them down, but basically bring them from like a really big academic level with like big fancy stupid words that we use and. I just want to portray it to like the public for like more of like layman's terms and explain like how these things perpetuate in society and how we can realize them, recognize them and make changes to our daily lives to bring about social change ultimately. So I talk about like capitalism. I talk about ignorance, ideology. Um, I have an episode talking about the LGBTQ community in America and I talk about COVID. So I kind of, in that episode, we talk about like how we perceive COVID. Like, why are people being so selfish when people around them are literally just dying and they're just saying survival of the fittest, Darwinism? Like, what kind of excuse is that? So those are the things that I kind of cover. Nice. Are there um, are there Instagrams associated? So I'm, I'm trying to debate if I want to pull out of social media personally or not, but I think I'm going to just, I have to make some social media for them, but I am on anchor.fm slash Podcast. I'm sure you guys can like link it or something somewhere, but yeah, we'll, we'll stick it in the show notes. Cool. That'll be awesome. Cool. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you didn't like, if you really hate Tom or me or Isabel, um, let us know at I'm the villain pod. That's our Gmail, our Twitter, um, and our Instagram. Otherwise, bye everyone. Bye. Thanks for having me.